When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, I'm Scott Soshnick. And I'm Evan Novi williams and you're listening to the $1.8 billion Arena Project podcast, The Sportacast. All right, I see where you went there. I thought you were going to do like, you know, the beach, the LA, the thanks for the week in the sun and fun, <laughs> thanks out of the office. But since you sort of teased it, the $1.8 billion you referred to is the new facility being constructed in Inglewood for the Los Angeles Clippers, Bolting Staples Center, where they are, I believe, as you called them, what, the, the third tenant? What did you say? Third, third wheel tenant, I yeah, think. Yeah, third wheel tenant, use. right, yeah. behind, behind the Lakers and the Kings. And I've dealt with a lot of teams, by the way, who play in venues that they don't own. And it, this is an interesting one, by the way, because you think like the Celtics rule Boston, but playing there they are a tenant in what is, what is it now td garden whatever td bank door i don't even know what it is anymore but you'll notice the colors of the seats there are gold and i'm sure if, you know if the celtics owned their own building i'm sure they'd like to incorporate green without having to put some sort of backing on game day but that's one of the things you deal with and i think most notably what you deal with is certainly scheduling you're not the first thought when it comes to scheduling versus opponent and day of week so it's a tough go, but the Clippers are getting their own building. And my favorite part of this, Evan, is that you were out in LA and you spend some time with the, and I love this, what do I want to call them? Zealous, ebullient, uh, energetic, Steve Ballmer. So why don't you walk me through your time with Steve and what you learned about what he's trying to create, um, what the final product is. We already know it's going to be the Intuit Dome. Uh, clearly, Steve is into it because he has been talking for some time about building the premier fan destination for basketball. My favorite stat is it will have double the number of toilets of any other building. I love that. I sent Steve a note, by the way, said, way to go. Love the number of toilets because that's a problem in, in sports facilities. So take it away. You were there and hung, and hung with the man. Yeah, as you know, Scott, this has been a goal of Steve since the moment he bought the Clippers seven or eight years ago for, for $2 billion. He knew very well that that being a tenant in the AEG-owned Staples Center alongside AEG-invested Kings and Lakers uh, w- was not going to be a long-term solution. And it took him maybe a little while longer than than he thought it might would or he hoped that it might would. Uh, but but this is the, the, the final unveiling of what these plans are going to be. Uh, and you're right. Anyone who's ever talked to Steve Ballmer, anyone who's ever seen him talk, uh, he is extremely excitable. He ends up uh, kind of waving his arms a lot and, 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 and screaming about the things he's excited about. And this arena is certainly one of those things. Uh, it, it is a chance to build both from a commercial standpoint, uh, a building that is just the Clippers own that they can control. Um, and also from a competitive balance standpoint, um, you know, you mentioned in there, the scheduling, this is one of the first things Steve said to me, he's like, look, when we were at the Staples center, we played a lot on Saturday and Sunday afternoons. 
We played a lot on Monday nights against Monday night football. And those are dates that are not great for fans. So it ends up not attracting sold out crowds, et cetera. It's also not great for players. They don't really love playing on, on weekend afternoons as well. So, so from a competitive standpoint, definitely the kind of thing that he thinks is going to be an advantage. Um, it's being built with a, a wall of fans on the, on the visitor side uh, that has a lot of the, the kind of the acoustic engineering that you expect to be especially loud and in specific moments for the team. And then outside of competitive from a business standpoint, Scott, they share a, a very small percentage of things like suite sales and ticket sales at Staples Center. Uh, Steve Ballmer is very aware of that. Having a building where they can kind of control all of their hospitality, all of their premium seating, and then be able to book concerts and you know, mega truck events, other non-sporting events throughout the year as well uh, is going to be a massive financial advantage for the team as well. Disney on ice, Simone uh, Biles, uh, what is it, Gold Over U.S. Tour, whatever it's called. I like the monster truck, but nothing does better than the Disney on ice. How about the bulls, right? The PBR, we get that in there. We get some bull riding, get the dirt in there. Um, what, what I enjoyed about Steve and him talking about the project was he made clear we could have done this for less money. Like he certainly could have spent less. Uh, he's got the net worth to do it, of course. But I love the fact that he hammered home that they were spending more for certain things that he wanted. Why don't you detail a few of those things? I think that's right. And when when you're the eighth richest man in the world and the richest owner in the NBA, there you you can make those uh, you can make those luxurious investments. Some of the ones he mentioned to me, uh, there's a massive scoreboard, kind of a ring around the entire top of the arena that he said could have been done for tens of millions of dollars less if they didn't want to have the flashiest and the best technology. Uh, one you'll like as well, Scott. There, there's more leg room, it seems like, than in a lot of arenas. I actually sat in some Love of those. Love the seats. leg room. That's also great. Um, he also mentioned kind of th- there's a lot of environmental aspects of the arena. Um, the types of concrete that was used, the the water and the bathrooms, things like that. Um, that's all things that also cost a little bit more money that he was happy to kind of shoulder the burden of because it's obviously better for the environment. And, and we'll go back to the bathroom, Scott, because, you know, as much as it is more convenient for fans, the thing he mentioned to me, he's like, look, owners don't want to do that because more bathrooms means a larger amount of real estate dedicated to them. It means a bigger building and that means more money. And a lot of owners are looking at the, you know, the ways that they can cut corners and they say, look, if we have half as much toilets, we have half as much real estate dedicated to it, that, that that's a cheaper building. And again, he said he's more than happy to, to foot the bill to have a, a lot less lines and a lot more toilets available for fans and, and make a bigger building that's more expensive just because he knows on the back end it'll be it'll, it'll make the experience better. Boy, I'd have hammered him if he was charging 25 cents like a pay toilet. I'd have really hammered him. <laughs> Just a note, he didn't say that. Yet. These are free. <laughs> These are free toilets. Um, do you get the notion, though, how this is going to play out in... Because you, you think about new buildings and we're hearing about premium and luxury. That's sort of the trend. But Steve is not a premium luxury guy. Steve is a... He's about the basketball guy. He wants people to have a a really good basketball fan experience. And I'm I'm sorry if I'm putting you on the spot because we have not discussed this. But do you get the sense, was there sort of a a, a yin and yang or a tug of a a high-end experience versus just, hey, I'm a basketball fan. I'm here to watch the game. Uh, I just want that experience. It doesn't have to be you know, um, you know, silver line cups or things like that. 
Yeah, I think it's it's a good question, and and you're I think you're going to see that in this building as well. That there's 14 kind of VIP suites of, of various sorts that are kind of below the the, the top of the of the lower bowl. All of those, I believe, are seating where they're seating in the, in the arena, obviously, to watch the game. And then the suite portion of that is inside the arena in some cases, or even across a hallway. So they, they built the premium seating inside the lower bowl to kind of be a part of the arena and not take up too much space for things like the catering services or the buffet food and the, the, the couches and the lounges that you see in a lot of arenas right next to the premium seating. So yes, and I, I think from a acoustic standpoint, I mentioned this earlier, but a lot of the, the suites, the outdoor seating for the suites are not outdoor, but the, the in arena seating for the suites were all also designed so that they didn't kind of detract from the acoustics within the bowl. And I think that was also important. Look, the the, the pitch from, uh, and I spoke with, with Clippers executive Gillian Zucker as well about this whole thing. And she essentially said, look, this is what happens when the, when the world's biggest super fan has enough money to build a building all of his own. Um, and as much as that's kind of a tagline, I do think you see that in a lot of the things that Steve, Steve built here. How cool would it be if Steve, if Steve had like a seat was like a king's throne, obviously you don't <laughs> want to block anybody's view. And by the way, this is, this is interesting because one of the things that came up in the NBA years ago was that the players, like they had regular chairs. So then one of the teams came up with the idea and, and the players were sitting there with like their knees up in their chins because it was like a regular folding chair. Like that doesn't work chair, for yeah. seven players. Yeah, I mean, that's what you saw. And I forgot which team. It might have been the Lakers. It might have been Phil because he had the bad knees in the back. But there was like a higher chair, which seemed to make sense for some, you know, for folks who are mostly much taller than your average fan. But then the, the people in the front row couldn't see because <laughs> you were, you know, you're paying a lot of money for this premium seating, but you couldn't see over the players. So, I, just, I mean, you don't think about these things and what one little change will mean. And you think with Steve, by the way, a new arena would be like teched out, decked out. But I've always gotten the sense from him in, in our conversations that it wasn't about tech for tech's sake if it could enhance the experience in a way that fans demand fine but it wasn't going to be just tech for tech like there had to be a reason and the ways that that people interacted like do you want something on your watch like was there an update was there uh, some way you could enhance the experience and the of the game of watching the game in a mobile way he does not i repeat he does not want fans sitting there looking at their phones and not paying attention to the game and he wants fans in their seats as much as possible. And and the sure. bathrooms are a good example of that. Another one, all of the concessions are going to be essentially uh, contactless. You go and you grab what you want. And I guess some some part of the technology in there lets it record that you're taking like it. Essentially, it's just like Amazon. Like Amazon, the Amazon store. Ghost yeah, stores. There you yeah go. There which you is go. the inspiration yeah. that Steve said for, for that. So ideally, a lot less lines getting in and out of the stadium with mobile ticketing, a lot less lines at the bathroom and a lot less lines at concessions as well. It's got another interesting aspect of this. Steve Ballmer also owns the forum, the the, the old arena that was the home of the Lakers and, and the Kings way back when. Um, that is one of the best performing venues in the country from a concert and, and non-sporting event standpoint. Obviously, there's no sports tenant, so they have a lot more open dates than, than, other, than other arenas do. I am very curious, and, and I asked Steve this. He said that it was kind of too early to decide. I'm curious if once this building opens in 2024, 2025, if that maybe spells the end of the forum. If there's a feeling among Balmer that, that maybe you don't want to own two Englewood arenas that are competing against its, its, the, each other in addition to all the other uh, new sporting buildings around the city uh, for things like concerts and things like uh, things like PBR, et cetera. 
Oh, I'm so old. I remember covering Laker games at the Forum you know, with <laughs> Chick Hearn and the Jello. You probably have no idea what I'm talking about. No, sir. Yeah. Okay. Well, you know, that, that was one of his sayings during the games. Yeah, I don't know. But I am interested in the economics of cities with multiple arenas now. I mean, obviously, Staples Center's premier venue. You're going to have this new facility. Uh, and if people aren't aware, it, Inglewood is right by the airport, right down from LAX. Staples is downtown. Um, the Forum is right there, right next to the new development of Stan Kroenke and the Rams and Chargers Stadium. So there is a revitalization of the area there. There's a yeah, new NFL know. office right there also. Yeah, new, right the next new to NFL LA offices. Yeah, yeah. yeah. West, I, I'm West Coast headquarters. Sure. Yeah, I'm not sure if it'll be different kinds of events. Maybe you could put maybe some of the more family entertainment stuff at the Forum, which previously, by the way, was a church. And then the ownership went to MSG and it was sold to Steve Ballmer. So, uh, yeah, I'm not sure how that'll work. Well, you were the one with them. Why didn't you get an answer on that? Are you going to oh, keep the forum open when you use it for? I did ask him. He said, I mean, he essentially dodged the question. He said it was kind of oh. too early to, 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 to put an answer on that. And just to, to underscore this point about new venues, Bank of California Stadium, where LAFC plays, opened three or four years ago maximum. Everyone says that that's a, a fantastic, one of the better venues in MLS. Right across the parking lot from that is the Coliseum, where USC plays, which is obviously an extremely old building but just underwent a, a massive renovation as well. There is no shortage of nice, new, glitzy venues uh, in Los Angeles. And it does make you wonder if, 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 the, if the forum's days are actually numbered once this new Clippers arena does, does come on board. All right. We're kind of talking about Staples Center. So now the biggest star that inhabits um, Staples Center is one LeBron James and the Lakers. One of the things LeBron is into is multimedia company, um, Spring Hill, and w we know that they were looking for an investor. We now find out that Jerry Cardinal's Redbird Capital is nearing a deal to invest in Spring Hill. We can add that on top of some of Jerry's other sports holdings. Um, and you're starting to see the makings of quite an interesting sports and media company at a time when here we go again. You know, you got Netflix and F1 making things popular. You've got Ted Lasso, people watching that. It's, it's, it's interesting to see what do we think they're building uh, in terms of sports and content. Yeah, just think about the the pairing. Just to use one of of Redbird's many sports investments, think about the pairing of LeBron James and The Rock, two of the the most popular celebrities, period, in the in the U.S. right now, and and certainly two of the most popular in in the, in the sports world as well. Um, well Redbird, explain The Rock. Explain why The Rock is involved in this. Conversation. Yeah, so Redbird is an investor in in the XFL alongside uh, The Rock and Danny Garcia. Uh, that's a, a football league that is is going to be up and running again. I believe next year is the plan. Other Redbird investments got Yes Network, Wasserman Media, One Team Partners, Fenway Sports Group, which is the, the Red LeBron. Sox, Fenway Park, and Liverpool. LeBron is an investor there as well. Um, there's Toulouse, Sky the French soccer team. Toulouse, the French soccer team. There, there's Skydance, which is the, the Hollywood studio that made Parasite, the, the movie that won a bunch of Academy Awards two years ago. There, there's a whole there's a whole web here of there's sports an and entertainment. There's, yeah, there's an ecosystem. And, and you built. understand yeah. how Spring Hill, which just did the Space Jam movies, working on a project with New Line, working on a project with Netflix, you can understand why 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 Spring Hill fits kind of perfectly into that ecosystem. 
Yeah, I don't think it's enough to get LeBron to the billionaire status, but it certainly gets him closer, right? You know, that uh, we were talking about numbers were like what six hundred and fifty to seven hundred and fifty million somewhere. Yeah, that would have been a, yeah. like, that would have been an all in price on Spring Hill, but we'll we'll see. Uh, yeah, it's it's interesting to see what's being done in the content game, uh, and not only the the producing of the content, but then of course it's always how is it distributed. And on what platforms will it reside? Uh, myriad opportunities in sports and entertainment for all that. Uh, not only li- it's not just for live games anymore, is what I'm saying. Yeah, and, and and LeBron has made it clear that he is willing to himself personally get involved in a lot of the projects that are underneath Spring Hill. I mean, the the Space Jam movie is obviously a, a perfect example. Also, underneath Spring Spring Hill is uninterrupted. LeBron is doing a number of shows and a number of of kind of c- consistent content pieces for uninterrupted as well. It is clear that you know LeBron is not just a, a passive investor in in Spring Hill. He is both hands on and also also understands, as I think The Rock will probably be with XFL, also understands that his own stardom and his own platform can be extremely beneficiary to the projects that the company works on. Yeah, I can tell you, LeBron, whenever his playing days are over, will not just sit around in his pajamas. He has certainly laid the groundwork for a post-playing career that can certainly... Um, be buoyed by the reputation that he had on the court, the the connections that he made as a player, and now the the all important word equity. He's an equity stakeholder in these projects, uh, a la Magic Johnson. Um, he he's building himself a a pretty impressive uh, media and entertainment empire, and you know he's just not waiting around to do it. He's not waiting until he's done as a player. He started this, the plans were in motion long ago, and it's sort of building to a crescendo for the day when he's ready for the next challenge. You know who's done that well as well, Scott, is Michael Jordan. Uh, And last time we saw Michael Jordan uh, publicly was ringing the bell at the NASDAQ last week when an investment of his radar uh, officially went public. This has been a long process for Sport Radar. I think we've talked about them many times on this show, going through the different iterations of possibly getting acquired by a SPAC to then going the traditional IPO route. Um, But it officially happened last week. Uh, Investors there to remind people, in addition to Michael Jordan, Ted Leonsis, Mark Cuban, a new name that that we broke earlier this last week, Jeff Lurie, the owner of the the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, The NFL is an investor in there as well. And and a big payday for Carson Carl, the, the, the man behind Sport Radar, already a billionaire, but our numbers put him at around $2.5 billion at the IPO. Scott, the first sports data billionaire, according to Brendan Coffey. Won't be the last, and I love Karsten's take. I had multi-generational wealth beforehand. I'm not going to focus on the money now. That's not what I want to talk about. It's, it's how do we build? What do we do with data? Uh, I'm fascinated by this because, again, we have the COVID acceleration of tech and new And sports betting brings to the forefront data and the value of data and artificial intelligence and what it does with all these data sets. It's not just for sports betting anymore. It can also spit out content for uh, media companies like Fox, NBC. Um, It's going to be really interesting. I'm, I'm totally into the data funnel. Like you, something happens on the field, it gets fed to place A, then it gets chopped up and fed to B, C, and D. They distribute it in five different ways. And how do you generate revenue from every touch point down that funnel? 
Uh, there is some debate now, the value of official data, which uh, belongs to Genius when we talked to, like about the NFL, used to belong to Sport Radar versus do you need it? Don't you need it? But by the way, I thought we had a nice reminder that we weren't saying investor Ted Leonsis. We were saying revolution growth backed sport radar, right? Our that friends at Revolution. So let me just bring that in. But yeah, they, they you know, uh, they certainly have big name investors uh, with experience in sport and entertainment. And now they have completed the IPO process and it's time to uh, to live life as a public company. Another big name in there, Scott, that is particularly interesting if you've been following Sport Radar over the past 18 months, Todd Boley, who was leading the SPAC that had a kind of a letter of intent in place to try to take Sport Radar public six or seven months ago. Those talks fell apart. They were having trouble raising money on the side for it. Todd Boley and Eldridge Injury Industries, they invested in a private placement alongside the IPO. So the SPAC route didn't work out for Todd and Sport Radar, but he was actually at the, the same bell ringing that, uh, that that Michael Jordan was at when they went public, and he did actually get a, a pretty significant uh, equity investment into the into the company in the end. So it didn't work out on the SPAC side, but Todd Bowley also uh, intimately invested now in uh, in Sport Radar as we were expecting, kind of the whole time. Well, part owner of the Dodgers, of course, recently uh, bought um, Phil Anschutz's stake in the LA Lakers. So it's all the ecosystem, right? That's what we're seeing from these sports owners. They're buying into the ecosystem of tech, real estate. How can we build it within that sports and entertainment funnel? And then the question is, because of the promotion that it gets, because of the involvement in sports and entertainment, can we scale it beyond just the sports fan and really cash in? But it's interesting to watch. Everybody's doing it in different different companies, different avenues, but the thesis seems to be the same. So let's close on this. Speaking of kind of tech and promotion, I assume you saw, we wrote about it. It was one of the most read stories we did last week from Jacob Feldman. Uh, this little bit of augmented reality video that the Carolina Panthers put out ahead of their game against the Jets last week. Uh, it's uh, I'll describe it. People should just look it up uh, as they're listening to this because it's interesting. Uh, it is essentially a, a video of the, of the stadium as it's getting filled in before the game. And they layer it on top of it, a live looking Panther that ran around the stadium, jumped onto the field, chewed up a, a Jets flag. They were playing the Jets that day. Uh, got a lot of attention, Scott. I imagine we're going to start seeing a lot more of this kind of stuff, this AR, uh, the, the AR promotions from, from teams and leagues and governing bodies moving forward. Yeah, well, the companies that do this, they had really been focused during the pandemic on creating virtual platforms for networks, for teams. So that was the focus. And now this is just an iteration of that, the natural step of now, how do we how do we go to the next step? This is one, like you said, we've seen some other teams. And because of the attention, it was like some 10 million plus Twitter impressions, like the most popular thing uh, in the NFL that day. Uh, because of that, of course, the phone has been ringing at the executive offices uh, and at, at the Panthers and sponsors want to know what's next. How do I attach myself to it? Clearly, this is something that is driving and give me the buzzword, right? We're driving engagement with not only the fans watching in the stadium, but those at home, those on social. So just yet another touch point, connective point, uh, and possible revenue stream for 
sports teams. Just what David Tepper needs, one more revenue stream associated with his NFL. <laughs> yeah, it's easy to, when you look at this video, it's easy to think down the line at what the really awesome applications would be. If you can take live gameplay that someone's watching and inject AR on top of it, uh, I think there's a, there's a ton of really awesome possibilities there. We're, we're not anywhere near there, I don't think, from a tech perspective. I thought of when I saw this video, Scott, and, and the attention it was getting, I also thought of the drone footage we saw of the, of the Cowboys practice facility at the Star in Frisco, which is just a, it's just a cool thing to look at. You, you look at it and you're like, oh, I've never seen anything like that before in the sports world. It's kind of fun to watch. Maybe I'll watch it a second time. And you're right. The people behind both that drone footage and this AR Panthers video, I'm sure are getting phone calls off the hook from people asking, hey, wh what can we talk about? What can we do that's kind of similar to that with our stadium, with our fans, et cetera, just because it seems to be getting a lot of attention? Yeah, members. I mean, Stephen Jones told us that the phone was ringing off the hook. You know, people loved it. Uh, and then you saw within a matter of two or three days, you had a whole bunch of other NFL teams flying drones through their practice facilities and stadiums. And then the one I pointed out to you, you had the Red Bull stunt flyer going through the tunnel in Turkey. Now you've got this. What was it? Houston had sort of what looked like a matchbox car or whatever kind of car racing thing in their stadium. So we're at the front end. Let's see what cool new stuff they can come up with. That'll have you and I talking about it next week. Are you? I'm sure you're excited for that. <laughs> I am. I can't wait. <laughs> I love this stuff. I want to see what they come up. I, I when I saw the Panther, I was like, "This is cool," which is probably why I called Jacob Feldman and I said, "Tell me more about this." <laughs> and like you said, he did. And I made sure that our social media editor, Cora Veltman, included the video on social. And like you said, it was among the most story, the most uh, read stories of the day for us because people were interested. That they maybe they saw it, they wanted to know more about it. And then we took them even deeper. What's what's next with this? So that's that's where we are. All right. He is Eben Novi Williams on the Twitter at Novi underscore Williams. I am Scott Soshnick on Twitter at Soshnick. The aforementioned Cor Veltman likes me to remind you that the show can be found on Twitter at Sportacast, which is the hub of what will very soon become the Sportico Podcast Network.